This is Lekka. I'm Lucy Dearlove. This month, a woman eating or not eating, with Claire Coder. So it is about um, Lydia, and she is in her early 20s, and she is mixed race, part Japanese, part Malaysian, part British, and she's trying to get into the contemporary art world in London. But yeah, a lot of the book is about food and about her being hungry and about her kind of exploring her cultural identity through food or, I guess, not being able to explore her cultural identity through food Mm. because she can't eat food. It's quite hard to explain because once you say vampire, I think like a lot of people get a certain kind of image or a certain book in their minds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so usually I try to explain what the book is and then say vampire right at the end. But now I've said vampire. So. <laughs> Claire Coder's debut novel, Women Eating, comes out this month. Woman Eating is a book about seeking community and connection through food, but sometimes ultimately being unable to do this. It's a book about feeling forced to conceal your true self for fear of persecution, or worse. It's a book about possession and what it means to try and possess a person or a culture. It's also a book in which the main character, Lydia, is a vampire. I should say at this point that Lydia being a vampire isn't a spoiler for the book, but if you haven't read it, there probably will be some mild spoilers in this episode. I have tried my best to avoid revealing any major plot points, um, but if you would prefer to read it without any prior privileged information, then I'd probably suggest going away and doing that first. You also might be thinking, Lucy, why are you talking about vampires when this is a food podcast? And to you, I would say, woman eating as the title suggests, is a book more about food than it is about vampires. What interested me about the vampire is, is like the fact that no vampire can eat food. I mean, sometimes I think, like in Buffy, I think vampires can eat food. Spike, Spike has a eats it's food. onion. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it looks delicious. I always remember. Exactly. Um, but I think historically, as canon, vampires exactly. Can't eat food, I think yeah. so. Um, which I find fascinating because it's such a big part of like life. Yeah. And identity, and I mean, it's a big part of my life: food and cooking. Did you always know that Lydia was a vampire? Did that bit come first? Yes. Okay. It was just there in my head. I was kind of like, it would be quite interesting to kind of write a vampire who was very human and like very relatable and wasn't really a vampire, wasn't any more a monster than a human, if that makes sense. I mean, I never thought of it as a horror book, for one. Only recently have I realised that I've written something that people consider horror, um, <laughs> which has been like a bit of a shock in itself. But yeah. um, for me, it was just, yeah, it was, it was never a horror book. It was never really a vampire book. It was right. always just It was incidental. Of, exactly. And what, then, what, if there was a genre that it would have fitted into, into in your head, what would that have been? 
So, okay, so interestingly, um, so recently with all the kind of press and everything, um, I've been called a millennial novelist quite a lot, of course. Because <laughs> millennial is a genre. Exactly, yeah, right. And been pigeonholed, obviously, is horror. Um, people have like tried to define it quite a lot and compare it to authors like Sally Rooney, um, sure. but like the vampire version kind of thing like that. <laughs> okay. um, but And how do you feel about that? Um, I don't like it, mm. to put it simply. Sure. Um, <laughs> Basically, my influences, because I write about literature um, as right. a book reviewer, yep. I write about almost exclusively literature in translation, which means that I read a lot of literature in translation. So most of my influences are actually Japanese and Korean. Yeah, there's less of a distinction between, so basically, um, like a Japanese novel can have supernatural elements in it um, and not be considered horror or sci-fi or like fantasy or whatever. It's okay, just yeah. a novel. And it's because, I mean, I think it's because there's like a long literary um, tradition in Japan that stretches way back to like folk tales where uh, gods shapeshift okay. and um, you know there are things that could be considered monsters you know like yokai and yeah so it's a part of the literary history of the country and so it means that when an author writes something that has like a ghost in it it's not a ghost story it's just a novel and I naively just kind of thought that that would be the same with my book but okay, of course yeah. In People England. don't have the same yeah. cultural context. <laughs> exactly. <reference. laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, my influences were definitely more East Asian. But yeah, so interestingly, the thing is, the thing about um, being kind of compared to Sally Rooney and the book being looked at more as a kind of millennial novel or horror novel means that not many people are actually talking about the food in the book because mm. the food is what connects the book to kind of ethnic identity. When the novel is being looked at as kind of like a millennial novel about a vampire, the food doesn't quite fit into that. So people <laughs> just aren't talking about it. Yeah. It's almost like an inconvenient kind of like aspect of the novel or something. Multifaceted. Ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a little bit strange seeing how it's been like put in boxes. And usually it's the the Asian side that's been left out. But how do, I don't know how have you found yourself reacting to that? Um I I'm kind of, at, at the beginning, I was kind of like, I mean, I get stressed about everything. <laughs> I am just generally, like, um, not good at, like, dealing with, like, life. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I'm always kind of, I'm preparing for the worst in every situation. Yeah, I find that relatable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but recently I've, just kind of found myself relaxing a bit more about it and I'm kind of trusting that it will kind of find its audience mm -hmm. and that people will see what it is mm. um, yeah they're not just going to read 
about the book and then like read the book themselves and miss all of the stuff about kind of Asian cuisine and stuff. It was the idea of how food could be an integral part of a novel whose main character is physically unable to eat in a human way that I found so interesting about women eating when I first heard about it. Lydia can only consume blood and talks frequently about how she grew up drinking pig's blood, which her mum would buy under the counter from a butcher in Margate. She's able to consume blood from other creatures, but her mum insisted on only ever buying pig's blood as a kind of self-punishment because she considered pigs to be dirty and that was all they deserved. Lydia later finds out that pigs are not naturally dirty, but in fact, the filth of the pig is just symptomatic of the sins of the human. Lydia struggles to get a consistent supply of pig's blood when she moves to London. This is when we meet her. And we experience the constant, growing, gnawing hunger with her. The food that she can't eat, on the other hand, is a constant preoccupation and presence in her life. When I first started writing her, I knew that she was obsessed with food. That was something that I knew from the beginning. And I think that came partly from... I mean, the book isn't autobiographical in any way, but I can understand that kind of obsession with food. For one, I do, I do just, I really enjoy cooking and um, yeah, sharing food with friends and things. But also for me, it's always been linked to like migration and uh, my Japanese family. And um, yeah, it's been like a way of me working out who I am. Mm especially in uh, Thanet where I grew up, which was so undiverse. It was like the one way I could, yeah, explore that part of my life, I guess. Um, for Lydia, the internet really is the only way she can access like cultural identity through food. It's the only way she can access Asian cuisines other than just smelling it, which mm -hmm. obviously she does do. It's a way of her kind of living through the people that she's watching. One of the ways in which we as readers witnessed Lydia interacting with food on the internet is her watching What I Eat In A Day videos on YouTube. Lydia says, My favourites are the cultural ones because they have the strange feeling of being instruction manuals for becoming whatever ethnicity the person in the video is. Lydia also considers what kind of food she would like if she were fully human. Would she eat Japanese food to strengthen that part of her identity, as she says? Or would she reject that and fill herself with as much British food as possible? Seeing people exploring their cultural heritage through food, I mean, it's something that I enjoy doing as well. At the time, I kind of, for research, um, I was following loads of people on Instagram who were exploring their heritage through food, like the Korean vegan. Mm -hmm but also uh, there's an Instagrammer called Bleeds, who's um, Korean-American, and Celestial Peach in London. She's amazing. There are a lot of um, people who are also uh, vegan and then exploring their Asian heritage. So it's like they're learning about their cuisines while also not being able to access all of it, which is something obviously Lydia 
can relate to you because she can't she can't eat any of it um, <laughs> but um yeah it was always kind of um that was the way into food for her was watching other people eating People bring food with them whenever they travel or migrate to different countries. Like it's always a part of home that they can take with them. And so like when you're sharing food with people, it's like you're being invited into their home. So really with Lydia, it was kind of exploring a life that didn't have that. Um, it's a very human experience, I think. Obviously it's a very human experience eating. It's a very human experience. <laughs> and with a vampire, it's a vampire is like a creature that is both human and not human at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah, they they always retain like a human part of themselves. Yeah, and the fact that they can't engage in that very human activity and that kind of type of communication, I find really really sad <laughs> and it was kind of like ripe for writing about it I think. The human side of Lydia is emphasised throughout the book. We might find some of her habits and or even tastes shocking but many aspects of her behaviour are familiar to us. My editor, my first editor, so basically my first editor left the publisher so my editor editor is someone else right um, but she suggested the first editor suggested that um lydia eats pig the pug <laughs> and i found that so shocking right the idea of lydia eating a pet a pet yeah and not only a pet but the pet of someone who was becoming a friend mm. and i that's not who she is. <laughs> no, exactly. Pig the Pug belongs to Maria, a character in the book who has a studio in the same artist complex that Lydia does. In the scene where we meet Pig the Pug, Lydia is kind of drawn into a communal dinner that some of the artists in the studio are preparing and eating together. It's this incredibly sort of wholesome domestic scene. They're using vegetables that they've grown themselves as we find out that many of the artists grow tomatoes or mushrooms or herbs or greens in their own studios. And there's a moment where Lydia believes that she could participate and that she could eat. And then she realises that it's impossible for her. But it's kind of one of the only scenes in the book where we really see her being involved in a communal experience and yet being completely separate from it. She would be so devastated if she did that. I don't think she could live with herself. Mm. I think she'd be more devastated eating pig the park than if she ate a human. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I wanted her morals, I guess, to be very relatable to you. So I didn't know that you were vegan. Um, oh, until yeah. you told me, obviously, like, why would I know? Um, it's not a question I specifically asked. But I just think, like, sort of in the context, I don't know, there's just something really, like, funny to me about a vegan writing a vampire <laughs> novel that is actually quite graphic, yeah. you know, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like, not, you know, gratuit gratuitously so, but 
like we hear about blood and mm -hmm. there's quite you know there's graphic descriptions of what yeah. the deer is eating and like how, how was that <laughs> um, I mean, it's not like you've never eaten meat but yeah i did used to eat meat i guess one part of my kind of experience of eating that made it into the novel is that when i consume anything i i guess i'm a very like overactive thinker is that the right phrase i can't help but think of the life of the thing that i'm eating even if it's just like broccoli okay <laughs> i just it's maybe it's because i'm writing so much of the time but i can't help but think of the stories behind essentially everything and it means that when i have eaten things like dairy or any animal products i am kind of thinking about the whole story of where that product has come from. I wanted that to be Lydia's experience when she actually does consume blood of another animal that right. she experiences its life. Maybe that partly uh, comes from Buddhism as okay. well. It's gonna sound really weird. I'm not sure if I'm Buddhist. Okay. I might be, but <laughs> it's another one of those things where Growing up in England, Buddhism was always associated with spiritualism, wellness yeah. and mindfulness, and they were all very kind of, um, I guess, quite white things. Yeah. I never really felt like I could find a way to explore Buddhism that was Japanese. I guess in Buddhism, at least this is how I interpret it, um, all life is equal because of things like reincarnation. Like I remember when I was very young, going off on a tangent here, <laughs> my barber, my mum's mum had just died um, when I was four. I hadn't learned anything about reincarnation before. I'd never heard the word, didn't know anything about the concept. Um, and I was in the garden and this really big um, bumblebee came like buzzing by and uh, it felt like it said hello and I remember in my head I felt like I knew that that was my barber and I was you know I was very young so it was very simple for me at that age I was like yeah. haha it's yeah <laughs> it's barber <She's> here. <laughs> then she flew off and um so since then I think like in my little four-year-old mind the life inside that bee was completely equal to the life inside my own body. And I think that's something that Lydia feels, I think, as well. But at the same time, she is kind of baffled at times by the fact that her diet is different, but actually not that different. So there's a part where she's looking, I think it's when she's trying to source pig's blood and she like find, finds restaurants that are serving um, like blood sausage and stuff. And then she says that it's just, it's like not really fair that she's stigmatized for drinking blood when humans have it, but just in different shapes. And I think it, it, that partly came from, in fact, I think it definitely came from this, but I've never thought about it before. I think it comes from um, like the stigmatization of Asian cultures for being more cruel than Western cultures when it yeah. comes to meat consumption. I find that really baffling when we have like a lot of cruelty and the way we consume meat in the West as well. I think that that definitely fed into it. 
I've spent my whole life like being asked questions like, why do they eat whale in Japan? For instance, <laughs> it's like, well, why should I know? I mean, for one, like... Why do you treat chickens so badly? Exactly. In <laughs> exactly. And I find it really interesting, like, when, like, talking about whales specifically, that there are obviously cultures in the West that also eat whales mm. in Scandinavia, for right, instance. Right, yeah. But it's, I think it's quite easy to, like, other... Japanese people and kind of like see it as this thing that like the other does but yeah there's like I think there's a lot of kind of um stigmatization over about Asians kind of being like inherently like cruel or evil which I find really interesting the idea of kind of like cruelty when we look at like this thing that we consider as being other and yeah I think Lydia just because of what she is, is very aware of that. She can never really show who she is because of that. Even though she's like living, you know, she's just having like the surplus blood from like the pigs that are being slaughtered for sausages anyway. Right. Um, she could never actually, I mean, she can't just go and get a cup of blood and drink it, you know what I mean, in yeah. front of people. Um, yeah. Yeah, when her mother, the detail about her mum sending her to school with a little flask yeah. that she has to hide, you know, that she can drink out of and she can't show anyone what's in it. It was just really sad. Yeah. The thing with the flask, I think, was also like, I wish now, looking back, that I had like said yes to my mum cooking Japanese food for my lunch boxes. Like, that would have been so nice. But I know that as a child, I would have been so embarrassed yeah. and like bullied for it. And so I had like, I kind of made my mum pack me, like, the most awful Bland food. sandwiches. <laughs> exactly. Like, the worse it was, the better, because I fit in. It's kind of, like, sad to think of kids having to, like, hold, uh, hide their culture in the food that they're eating. Something that came into my mind many times while reading Women Eating was how it relates to colonialism. There are direct references to the history and reality of countries being colonised, but there are also subtler parallels. Whether it's in the life of Lydia's Malaysian mother, Julie, who was turned into a vampire by a British man, or in the practice of contemporary art collecting. There's a character in the novel called Gideon, who, it's not too much of a spoiler to say this, is a straight-up creep. And one of the things we learn about him is that he has acquired several pieces of Lydia's dad's art for his collection. There's so much I could say about this. <laughs> so one thing is that Japanese culture and also Korean culture now, I think a lot of people feel like they can kind of consume it as if it's almost like a lifestyle yeah. as opposed to an actual culture. So many people tell me that they really love Japan and Japanese things and um, I, in my mind I'm always thinking that doesn't include Japanese things like the gender inequality right. or the things, you know, the, the reality of kind of what Japan is like as a country. I find it really hard to articulate but basically Japan feels like it's consumed a lot and commodified a lot. And that happens in art as well, you know. It's, um, there's a kind of, art allows people to consume a culture and feel like they're consuming a culture. So Gideon, Gideon collects 
Lydia's dad's art and he collects a lot of, in inverted commas, world art. Um, <laughs> but I haven't kind of come across many things that explore colonialism in Asian countries. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of Asian countries have also been colonised by Western countries. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that to be a part of the novel. And in the novel, Julie, Lydia's mother, believes that the origin of vampires is in colonialism and that it's like a symptom of colonialism, that there was like a man who took so much of what wasn't his that he was like cursed to take what wasn't his for like eternity. Yeah, Malaysia's a country that has been colonised by... Uh, so Lydia is Malaysian, British, Japanese, and Malaysia's a country that has been colonised by the British and the Japanese, which I find really interesting. Um, I wanted to explore that a little bit. I wouldn't say it's like central to the book, but it is also Lydia's kind of origin as both a vampire and a human. But yeah, so colonialism... There are so many, I guess, strands of the novel that it touches upon. So the art collecting, but also the origin of vampires full stop. And then Lydia's kind of cultural heritage, the fact that Julie, her mother, was turned into a vampire by a British coloniser. And then later uh, met Lydia's dad, who's Japanese, and Lydia speculates that maybe she was interested in him and interested in, like, kind of... Uh, his art and kind of like consuming his life in a sense because Malaysia had been colonised by Japan as well in the past. Yeah, Julie, Julie's a character I think that has, I mean, she has like a lot of kind of trauma mm. because these are all things that she actually experienced. Mm. And that's the kind of fun thing about a vampire. They kind of yeah. live for like, you know, they can live for she was centuries. There. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that idea that that you were talking about that Julie believes that um, vampires originated with, with the colonisers arriving in, in countries like Malaysia. Is that an idea that you had read elsewhere or was that an idea that, um, that you wrote kind of as an original it proposition? Just, um, I didn't know that she thought that until I wrote it, okay. basically. Because <laughs> it feels so fitting. <laughs> you... Yeah, I, I mean, I felt like... it sounds like such a cliche to say that like uh, my characters were kind of like alive or whatever yeah. but um <laughs> but um I really felt like I, while I was writing I was just discovering things about them right um and that part just came out while I was writing it and I was kind of like Ooh. I didn't know like yeah it was a surprise to me too mm. but I was always interested in making having Julie come from Malaysia specifically just because of the history of Britain and Japan, which are my two heritages. I was drawn to the figure of the vampire because of its kind of like dual existence, you know? And sure. the fact that it's inherently divided with the vampire because the fact that the vampire only eats blood, it's like the vampire, no matter where it is, it's a foreigner. Yeah. And um, like, I think yeah. uh, for me anyway, like, uh, like a lot of feeling foreign comes down to food. 
yeah, with Lydia, she is just foreign, absolutely everywhere. I honestly don't know what I want people to take from it. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's good. I think that's but, nice. Yeah, it's... One thing I do fear is that people come to it expecting a vampire book. And really, it's a book about a woman eating or not eating. And I do worry that people will be disappointed at how disappointing a vampire Lydia is, I guess, in a way. Woman Eating by Claire Coder is published by Virago and is available now in all good bookshops. I urge you to get a copy and meet Lydia yourself. Thanks very much to Claire for taking the time on a sunny afternoon to speak to me. We were sitting outside by a railway line in Canterbury, so you might have heard the trains passing and the birds singing. Claire also contributed to the recent anthology Eastside Voices, which I haven't read yet, but I'm really looking forward to. This episode was written and produced by me, Lucy Dearlove. If you'd like to support Lekka, you can donate to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lekka podcast. There's going to be some things happening on the Patreon very soon. So it's a good time to sign up. Just saying it's three pounds a month. Ben McDonald creates original illustrations for every episode of Lekka and they're beautiful. You can see them on Instagram and Twitter at Lekka podcast. I'm also posting sporadically on TikTok with the same handle. There's a transcript to this episode available at lekkerpodcast.com. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'll be back in your podcast feeds with another episode of Lekker next month. Thanks for listening.